Now turn in, in, your word, in the Word with me to this very precious place in the Scripture where so many preachers have preached dynamic sermons about the sin and the righteousness and the judgment. And if you're here as a Bible student of any sort, I want to, I hope, throw a few um, wrenches in your machinery and at least get your minds going. For so often we think this is a great evangelical message that is presented and preached. And so preachers get up in a great storm and they can preach about sin. Oh man, can we preach about sin. And we can preach about righteousness, the wondrous righteousness of Jesus Christ. The unfortunate thing is, if you listen to the majority of us when we preach about this verse number 9 and 10, it would appear that we are preaching about unrighteousness, and that isn't what is said in the script. And of the judgment to come, we can all tell you about massive judgment to come. We can tell you how it is that Satan is going to be reproved of God once and for all, cast into a lake of fire, and the whole thing with Satan is going to be over and done with. We can tell you all about that. We know all about judgment and all the things that will take people into that judgmental place. But alas and alack, very often we don't look at the text and we don't study it sufficiently to know exactly what it is that we're talking of. And so just for a few moments in this brief time we have, I want to share with you some of the teaching that is within these three verses, 8, 9, and 10 of John 16. This is a special nugget. If you take it from its context, it will become a pretext and therefore it will have no real association with the Lord Jesus in what he is saying. Now this is what he's saying in, in the vernacular of our day. He is saying, I'm going and I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit of God and he will be a testimony. He will comfort you. Your hearts are sorrowful because I've said this to you that I am going away from you. But I tell you now before it comes to pass so that when it comes to pass you will understand I told you before it all happened. Now when the Holy Spirit comes, He will reprove the world. He will bring an indictment against the world. And in the original language it is that He brings an indictment. He brings a lawful charge against the world. Now this lawful charge that is brought against the world is very simply put in verse, um, in verse 8, in, uh, when, when, when the, the scripture says he will reprove the world and if you have a little margin and you're using the authorized version it says look in the margin and it says convince if you have another version it will say convict and every word is appropriate but the word to convict is more correct than the others especially in the updating of our vocabulary of today now what is it that the Holy Ghost is going to convict of? of sin. Well, you say that's obvious. Well, now, it is obvious, but I challenge you please to turn in the Scriptures. What is this sin? What is this peculiar and persistent sin? Is it the thing that when I tell a lie, is that what God is convicting me of? Or if I commit adultery, is this what God is convicting me of? Or perhaps by my covetous attitude, or my stingy attitude, or by my murmuring against God's people and leadership, Maybe that's the sin. Is this the sin? No, beloved, it is not the sin that is spoken of here. 
If you'll turn the pages of John's Gospel into the first chapter and to the tenth verse, you will read it like this. You will discover in that beautiful opening of this great Gospel how it is that he writes, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And the word to know, the word knew, literally means the world loved him not. Literally then, the statement that is being made in verse 8 of John 16 is this, that because the world did not love the Lord Jesus, because the world rejected the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come to this world and the Holy Spirit will bring upon this world, as it were, a railing accusation. And the accusation is by the Holy Spirit, you did not love the Son of God. Now, if you will forgive me shocking your mind, really the Holy Spirit should not be in the world. And the reason one dares to, to say such a thing is this. Had the world loved the Lord Jesus, there would have been no need for the Holy Spirit to come and reprove or convict to bring a legal charge against mankind. Now the great charge that Jesus is speaking of is simply this, that they did not love him. That the world rejected him and would not love him. And we have so, such massive evidence of this. Why, said Caiaphas, it is evident that one man must die for all the people. And so by implication he said, let this man die. The people said, away with this man, release unto us Barabbas. We have no king. We are Caesars. The people said, we do not know this man. Crucify him. Away with this man. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world did not love him. Now then, when you start to put this into some sort of its, its own very place, and you leave it where the Scripture has put it, you discover verse 8 as saying something very dynamic and enormously powerful, for it demands that we give it at least a lot of study and concern. Look at the verse 8 with me. When He, the Holy Spirit, is come, He will convict the world. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on Me. Of sin the conviction will be brought because they will not believe that Jesus Christ is God's remedy for this world. Now he is talking in a sense in the future tense with his disciples and he is saying to his disciples, you see what is happening here is an enormous thing. You're seeing history, the, the wondrous history of the scripture portrayed. You're going to see its great unfolding. 
But if you will notice that in the attitude of Jesus is a passion and a love for people and for the love of our souls beyond, if you like, the call of duty. Because his great concern is for his disciples and those of us that will follow. He says, back into verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you a truth. It is expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him. In other words, it is terribly expedient that you understand that the Holy Spirit must come. And he must come and he must testify of me. And in his testimony about me, he will show the world that there is a terrifying indictment against them. And that is, they did not love me. They did not love me. And ladies and gentlemen, in the day in which you and I live, that indictment is still being written. And the Holy Spirit is not necessarily saying to you, look at the multitude of your sin, look at the catalogue of your sin, look at all the multiplicity of the dreadful things you have accomplished, and I convict you of sin. He's not saying that. He is saying the world rejected Christ. And if you are part of those rejecters, then the indictment is against you. The catalogue of sin and the multiplicity of it thereof is simply and absolutely incidental. The fact, the principle that is being presented to people in this day, in this age is if we are a part of those who have rejected Christ, the indictment is written indelibly. And the Holy Ghost, none less than the third person of the Trinity, is the one that brings the indictment against mankind and says they did not love Jesus. Now the terror of this is this. You see, you may come with some pseudo-experience. You may pretend because you're some deacon's kid or preacher's kid or because you're some missionary's kid or because you're, you've just been persuaded by a wife that's overly religious or a husband that's overly zealous and for some reason or another you have made a profession of faith but that's all it's been and you're yet out of possession of Christ. You're not in love with Jesus Christ and the indictment is that they did not love him. So now come, come with your pseudo-professions. Oh, come, my dear friend, come away from the fire that is not of Christ. Come away from the warmth that will not cause you to be warmed in the soul. Come away from those areas that are such thin ice you might slip through and break and drown. Come away from the terror of the bear. Come away from the horrors of hell. Come away and know this very day, I love Jesus. Without such a testimony, my dear friend, from the very depth of your heart, there is a great lack in your soul. Do you see the, ch the challenge is this? That we didn't love Jesus. It's that simple. But now you have to see the righteousness. And you have to see the righteousness as it's recorded for us in the scripture. The, th the second area of this is verse 10. And in the area of verse 10, we discover not so much a claim against unbelief, but he will convict the world of righteousness. And I want to seriously bring into your mind so that you can see clearly 
this righteousness thing. What is this righteousness? Well, when the paraclete shall come, the paraclete shall be the advocate. Turn your Bibles to the first epistle of John and you will discover in the, in the second chapter of that first epistle and in the first verse that when we sin we have an advocate with the Father. And very often we, we look at that and we say, isn't that wonderful? Just look at the words for yourself and then you'll see it. In the second chapter of the first epistle of John, my little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Mm. Because he is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Oh, John must have understood something that we have often missed, that Jesus Christ is the advocate of those who love him. Ah, but you see the righteousness that the world is going to be convicted of is not its own unrighteousness. Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. We know that. He came to his own and he loved them with a passionate love and they rejected his love. We understand that. But now understand this that the Lord Jesus Christ came and he's, he, he said, I will now have to send you the paraclete. I will now have to send you the advocate. And a curious thing in the original language, the same legal text is being used. An advocate will come. And the advocate, when he comes, he comes to do something phenomenal. It is to make sure that the charges are written out that's subjective. That the accusations are made, that is subjective. But he comes in an objective manner to make sure that he pleads the cause of. Now the job of an advocate is simply to stand and without, with, with, without any need of the person to be convicted, without any need of that person having an emotional response to what is being done, the job of the advocate is simply to plead the righteousness. In this case, he's to plead the cause of the client. The client may be guilty or not guilty, and whichever way the, the, the advocate is arguing, he is to present his case. Now, in this case, let's look at it. Let's say that we stand and we, have, we, we, we watch what goes on in this court with the Holy Spirit speaking on behalf of Jesus. He was tempted in all ways like as we, uh, we are and was without sin. Oh. He was tempted and was, is without sin. He is righteous. Who said the man as he sat at the foot of the cross as he listened to Jesus cry, as he listened to Jesus speak to the men on each side of the cross, in the eventually when he lifted up his voice and he said, it is finished, and he gave up his life for no man took it from him. When that took place, we discover the man, the centurion standing near the cross, and he said, truly, this was a righteous man. Truly, this was righteous. Now, if you look at that, you start to discover something else. If he was without sin, and he was tempted as we are, 
if our Lord Jesus was recognized by his torturers and those that would nail him to the cross as a righteous person. If you listen to the man on the cross, on the one side he leaned across and he said, we indeed die justly, but this man hath done nothing worthy. He is, in other words, a righteous man. The advocate, the Holy Ghost, will stand in the court and say, Jesus, you see, is quite righteous. And what did the world do with his righteousness? They called him a wine-bibber and a glutton. They called him a liar. They called him one that subverted the people. They said he was not the Christ. They refused to allow that he and the Father were one. And they rejected him. And the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Ghost comes into the world, is the argument of Jesus in this 16th chapter. When he comes into the world, he will say to the world, you rejected the righteousness of God. And that's the claim that God is making upon the world. That's the claim that God is presenting to the people. This is the claim that the congregations of the world must answer. This is the claim that for 2,000 years men and women must understand that the Holy Ghost has come not to talk about the unrighteousness of man, not to present to man the beauty of the righteousness of Jesus, but simply to make the statement that Jesus was the Christ. The righteous Son of God. That's all. That's all. Now to apply that, what then if your life is unrighteous? My dear friend, it would mean that you're not in love with Jesus. Period. What does it mean then if you have fallen away? Some people use this very, very foolish argument. They say something like this. You can be a Christian but not live for Christ. And the answer is no, you can't. But people will argue this in the hopes that somehow their, their early conversion will count during their latter sinfulness. And one will outweigh the other. And they plead that, oh, well, God is full of mercy and somehow He will turn again. Somehow He will forgive my wretched sinfulness, my total wastefulness. He will somehow come in. The application, my dear friend, of this portion of Scripture is this, that if you don't associate with the righteousness of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the advocate who will stand before the Father and will remind him of the righteousness of Jesus. There is the other side of that also. The advocate on our behalf, according to 1 John 2, 1, does this, that when we slip into, and if you expand the translation, if, you, when, if and when you, sp you slip into the momentary acts of sin, we have the advocate with, the with, with God the Father, Jesus Christ. Now there's a, ch there's a change there. You see here, the Spirit of God is the advocate there. The advocate is Jesus. 
And I deliberately bring this to you so that you will understand that there isn't a confusion. The Holy Spirit's testimony to the world is Jesus was righteous and the world preferred its own darkness to the light that Jesus brought into the world. For the Lord Jesus had said, I am the bread if you need nourishment, eat of me. I am the fountain if you need refreshment, drink of me. I am the way, the truth and the life. He has said, and we have studied this in our previous studies, that he was the resurrection now he has also said I am the vine you've got to learn to abide in me and the only way you can abide in me is through the comforter the spirit of truth whom I shall send to you now I go and when the spirit comes he will convict the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment and in this righteous area why the Holy Ghost is the advocate pleading righteousness 1 John 2, 1 is this. When I commit the momentary act of sin, when I slip and stumble into some sinful thing, why Jesus Christ stands as it were before the Father in glory because He is so close to the Father, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and He pleads my cause he reminds the father of the holes in his hands, the slit in his side, where the crown of thorns was upon his head. And he reminds the father, for that man, that woman, I died. There he becomes my advocate. You see, the world rejects that Jesus has gone to the father. They say it's a lie. And the righteousness of the Lord Jesus going to sit at the right hand of the father in glory is rejected by everyone who rejects Christ. Now look at the last thing and we must close. But the last thing is very outstanding. For we come to the very logical conclusion. The, the, the scripture here just brings itself to its own conclusion. In verse 11 of judgment. Well the obvious thing when we get to this area of judgment. Jesus isn't arguing some great thing. He is bringing them to a very logical conclusion. He is saying, if, they, if the world has rejected me and the Holy Ghost indicts the world, they have rejected me because they did not love me and they have rejected the, the love that God so loved the world. They've rejected that love. They haven't fallen in love with the Son of God who is the fairest of 10,000, who is like the bright, the morning star, who is the one, the fairest of them all. If they couldn't fall in love with Jesus, then the word is indicating this then are they judged. If they will not associate with the righteousness of Jesus, if, they, if the world will not come into that righteous method of living, if the world will not bring itself into a righteous attitude, then the Holy Ghost in a most objective manner is going to reveal to God the Father before all the angels, the seraphims and the cherubims and before all the massed people of the world through the last 2,000 years and more. He will simply say, this is the indictment. Jesus was righteous and those that would not love him couldn't receive his righteousness and his righteousness will condemn the world. Not unrighteousness. It isn't the naughty things that's going to condemn you. It's simply the rejection of believing that he is righteous. Now that may sound a strange thing to some of you. And I appreciate very much that it's not the easiest thing to comprehend. 
But it is this, that the very holiness of Christ is going to do the judging. The very presence and breath of Christ, as it were, is going to be like a, a great breath of judgment upon us. And the world is condemned already. We had better be very careful then, for as we get into this 11th verse of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Now you see, Satan is judged. God has brought in the verdict. The verdict has been brought in upon Satan. And whilst this period of time, called the period of grace by some, this time between the resurrection and, and ascension of the Lord Jesus and where we are today, called the day of grace, whilst we are in this time, Satan is judged. And he knows his sentence. It's been called out. It has not been executed. And that's the difference. He is simply, as it were, in a holding cell. And the earth is that holding cell. And whilst he's in that holding cell, he is the prince of the power of the air. And whilst he's in that holding cell, he is creating his own Sodoms and Gomorrahs. He is creating all sorts of mayhem, all sorts of unbelief within the church. He is deceiving and revealing himself as some angel of light, as a very nice person to belong to, as a very nice person to worship, as a very nice person to come in unto. He is deceiving the world. He is the father of lies, says the scripture, and he will deceive everyone and anyone that he can possibly do so. And whilst he is doing that, we who know Christ, who have recognized that God so loved and we have responded with a love imperfect, but a love that has received the love of Christ and bounded into our hearts. Those of us, though mystic, mysteriously in a sense and in a great mystical sense, have received and understand that the righteousness of Christ is so pure that the righteousness of man, which is like the righteousness of filthy rags, though it be so impoverished, he has, he has washed us so that the filth of the rags have fallen off and his righteousness has been imputed to us, given to us in infiltrated into our souls. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, such people understand that Satan is judged. His sentence is written. And we understand that he's in the holding cell. And we understand it fully that when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation, when the Holy Ghost goes back up into heaven, the Holy Spirit Spirit will then indict those that have followed Satan and Satan and all his cohorts shall be swept into the eternal judgment of God. It is the logical conclusion. This is the logical follow-through. And the Lord Jesus has come all the way from the expression of passionate love of a soul, great, a great agony. I prefer the English uh, method of pronouncing the word agape. We say agape. I can't say it. Isn't that awful? Agape. And the word agape pronounced in that dreadful English way is said you can go to any mission field in the world and every English missionary was a good one so long as they pronounced the language the way the English did. 
and, and, and so we come to this ag, agape, which is so near agone. And God's great agape, this great agony of love, revealed in Christ to those who would receive Him, to those that will enter in and allow that love to become a part of their soul. Oh, how wondrous is our Lord. Those who will receive this great righteousness. But those who have joined the rest of the world by ignoring that great love and despising that wondrous righteousness, such people are judged with Satan. God will judge Satan. And those who have nothing to do with God, who have rejected this love, who will not receive this righteousness, they will slip away with Satan. They will be judged. You see, we live in a world, let me just say this and I'll close, but we live in a world that excuses all kinds of things. We excuse every sort of sin we possibly can. We excuse every type of behavior that we can possibly possibly excuse we go to court to prove that we have rights the Christian knows within his heart that his rights were all given over so that Christ could be glorified so that Christ could live in him so that Jesus could live in him that he could be crucified and live and I make no excuse for being enthusiastic but those of you who will mix your politics with your love for Jesus have a mismix some of your history is wrong. It cannot be right. You see, the righteousness of Jesus is in direct opposition to the righteousness of the world. The righteousness of the world is an argumentative thing of rationale. Now fall in love with Jesus and be as enthusiastic about that love as with the most passionate lover you've ever come to. Behold, my beloved is mine, and I am his, and he is mine forever. Oh, and forever. Then the everlasting arms are all around and underneath, and I'm held close to his gentle breast, and I know something of the passion. I know something of the beauty. I know something of the grandeur of the holiness that is breathed from heaven's very portals. Ah, great is our God and greatly to be praised. But those that have no association with Christ and no comprehension of this great love wherewith he hath loved us and no understanding of the beauty that he would infill our hearts with, when Satan is judged, they will be judged. You see, there is no excuse in God's mind. Jesus said, come to me. The words of a commanding officer to a subordinate, come to me. I'll give you rest. He didn't say, come when it pleases you. Come when you think you will. Come when you've got your schooling done. Come when you go to this place, that place, or the other. He said, you come. 
You come now, and you come just as you are, and you come now in the very depth of the degradation of the sin that you find yourself in. You come now in all the horrors of the wretchedness of sinfulness. You come now, and you approach the eternal throne of the heavenlies. You come into the very presence of the seraphims and cherubims, and you bow down, and you say, God, my righteousness is like filth. Then the righteous robe of Christ is laid upon you. Oh, the best thing, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. What about you? Come, you've got to answer. You see, the indictment is to the world. Do you want to be a part of that world? Would you leave that world and would you come to this Lord Jesus Christ? Would you leave that department that is condemned, convicted already? And would you come to the place where you see surely Jesus Christ is God's great exhibition of his great love so that he becomes the effulgence of glory and receive him. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we recognize the day comes so fast when the Holy Spirit shall return to heaven and Jesus shall return to this world. When this world will have to admit that this is God's Son. This is God's way to live. When this world will have to rearrange its whole set of priorities and many of those who, of us who call ourselves Christians will have to be done with the hypocrisy of spiritual living. We will have to immerse ourselves in the depth of thy love and in the beauty of thy holiness, in the righteousness of thy grace. Oh God. Oh Holy Spirit, truth divine, dawn upon these souls of ours now. Let us see that when thou dost come, the great mighty word shall be convicted. Oh, would we escape such conviction? We would come to thee now and ask, O oh, Father, from the prisons of our souls thou would allow the light of thy grace that we may sing long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, O oh, God, and followed thee. So give to this congregation that sense of thy blessing, thy love, thy grace, that we may respond. We ask this for thy name's sake. Amen.